Welcome to the Final Draft Podcast. My name's Andrew Popel, and today I'm joined on the show by the CEO of Book People, Robbie Egan. Now, here on Final Draft, we love to explore books, writing, and literary culture. Every week, I get to broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Now, the show is dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to the classics that you know and love. We also love to dive into the issues that influence our writing. These conversations are designed to look at the issues behind the storytelling, a way to discover more from the books you love. Now, 2SEL broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people, and I am recording on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands, acknowledging that these are unceded lands. Treaty has never been made with Australia's First Nations. Now, today on the show, I'm joined by Robbie Egan. He is the CEO of Book People, which they were formerly known as the Australian Booksellers Association. This is the peak body advocating for booksellers. These are the people who get the books into your hands. And they have come out with an incredible and very interesting study on the importance of imagination. It looks at how imagination impacts our lives, what spurs our imagination, and also, yes, the role of reading in imagination. I cannot wait to get this conversation to you. It's a really interesting look at what this reading thing we do does to our brains. So join Robbie and I as we discuss the importance of imagination study. Robbie Egan is the CEO of Book People, formerly the Australian Booksellers Association. And Book People, they are a not-for-profit advocacy group for their members who are booksellers. And booksellers are the people who get the books into our hands. And so we love them. And Robbie is here with just a really fascinating study. First of all, welcome. Terrific to have you on the show. Uh, thank you, Andrew. My pleasure. This is a really incredible study that book people have done. It's called The The Importance of Imagination. Can you start us off? Just tell us a little bit about the study and what the importance of imagination means. Well, what brought us to this was, in some senses, perhaps fear that in modern society, screens are everything, aren't they? They're they're ubiquitous and, and people spend so much time potentially reading but not reading books in a, in what I consider a quote-unquote traditional sense. And there's so much uh, that reading does for you that's healthy, particularly when you read on paper, you retain information better. Uh, it leads to better outcomes. There are all sorts of mental health benefits. You know, you, you, they're portals to infinite worlds. You have possibilities when you read books. Um, and, and our concern as booksellers is, of course, that if trends shift and people stop reading books, A, my members go out of business, which would be very sad for me, but, you know, we will survive and we can do other vocations. But books are such a magical technology and and part of my personal history and just part of the way societies um, understand themselves through narrative, the way we um, convey complex information. The book is really the superior form for that. So we wanted to investigate what people were doing around books and reading. The other side of it is that we seem to be losing imagination as it comes through screens at us. When we read, we create more than just the code, which is you know essentially squiggles on a piece of paper. We understand the code, but every single person that reads creates something anew from that code. Even when you reread a book, sometimes you will come at it differently. So it's, it's an art form that I think is unique in the way that we use our own creativity to access someone else's creative output. And its uniqueness is something that I really don't want to lose because creativity is important for our new technologies in the future, for the way we approach problems, 
for, you know, vocational stuff, um, how to do a better, you know, line in a, a factory that makes widgets. So to lose creativity or innovation is a really bad thing. I remember reading a statistic, I can't remember if it was late 2020 or early 2021, that in Australia, um, book sales, and, and take that sort of book sales as a very generous term, were up, but that uh, a lot of it was being driven by sales of uh, probably like non-narrative um, things like, but you know, um, recipe books and things like that. Um, but also, of course, during that time, we were spending a lot more time on our screens. I wonder, amidst all of the, the goings-on of the last few years, was there a single catalyzing moment for that fear that you described, this fear that perhaps um, we were losing our connection with books and perhaps some creativity in the process? Uh, there's no acute moment. Mm-hmm. I think there has been a narrative around people reading less and buying less books, which isn't borne out in sales data. So I guess in some senses we're investigating why does this narrative exist? And I think um, COVID ushered in a huge bump in book sales, a massive amount of purchasing and reading. But as we've come out of COVID now, it's a very quiet period in the market. And what we're seeing is uh, sales are dominated by some blockbusters and particularly by being driven by TikTok. So traditional readers, there could be myriad reasons why they aren't buying as many books at the moment. Perhaps they bought so many during the pandemic that they're still getting through them. But that's unusual. People who read, and I'm going to assume you are a big reader yourself, tend to buy books even if we've got too many. It's just what we do. So um, slight concern, to be honest, that sales data was indicating this uh, rather than any macro understanding. Oh, you, Andrew has a giant <laughs> pile of books he's demonstrating to just, me. <laughs> just, just showing, Robbie, the just one of the piles of books. And and you are absolutely right. We we tend to we tend to buy um, you know beyond perhaps our capacity or or but be, not not beyond our motivation, but our our capacity when we actually have to live ah, in that place we call the outside world. <laughs> So amidst um, amidst the findings, was there anything that you found surprising or perhaps unexpected from the research? Um, on the on the negative side, it was a little almost depressing how how many people felt that they didn't use their creativity, and and they missed it and they wished that they did. Mm. Uh, that's a generational thing, which is interesting. So the older you, you get, the less creative you feel, and the less you feel you access your creative you know, internal drive. Uh, and I think that's sad because though there's, you know, exigencies of life as you get older and there's mortgages and kids and, you know, bills for this and that, not being creative must be very difficult. Um, I'm lucky to be in an industry that is all about essentially creativity and manufacturing interesting things. So I'm a lucky person. Um, but the the positive side that leapt out is I think it was 92% of people surveyed think books are the as good or as anything or the best way to stimulate your creativity. So books are still, you know, have real primacy in in the the community's mindset in terms of how do we be creative? How do we do things that stimulate um, uh, our interest and our minds? And books are number one, I think. So that's important. But the fact that people aren't accessing them when they're everywhere and they're relatively cheap form of entertainment is Mm. problematic. I am... I mean, I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable with this idea um, about sort of uh, the generational gap in the statistics. I mean, we can 
maybe correlation, not causation. But let's 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 connect releasing creativity with uh, with negative gearing reform and stage three tax cut. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, <laughs> but it, um, it's no. not stimulating, but it's still reading. Yeah, it's um, it, it is absolutely interesting though that we have this this generational gap that emerges through the study, and we talk a little bit about creativity as something that can be fostered. And I've got some interesting questions here in front of me that I need to actually, I think, completely flip on my head. So asking you things about maybe how parents can encourage creativity in their children. But in fact, doesn't the study show us the exact opposite, that perhaps we are more creative in those early years and that it is children we should be looking to for, for some of these creative uh, creative directions? I, I couldn't agree more. But it is incumbent upon parents and from that it's incumbent upon society to have policies and education methods that foster creativity and whether that be reading which is you know reading to your child is shown to be of absolutely vital importance but it could be anything as simple as you know kinetic play mm. excuse me kinetic play like using lego building things making things out of bits of old you know conduit and a golf ball um play play is a uh, natural to children because their brains are growing at such a rate and perhaps the, there's a stunting effect as we get older because we're not actually growing. But we now understand neuroplasticity and we understand that the brain can be rewired in so many different ways. So I think you are correct. We should look at children and we should play like children if we get that opportunity. We should go for a bike ride and let go of the handlebars. Perhaps we should make Lego. And I, <laughs> You know what I mean? And play in our storytelling. I not only do I recall, but I I work in my in my sort of outside life. I I work with kids, and stories are never just the words on the page. They they take them to their own pages. They write their own books. They create. I mean, something that we now are really comfortable calling fan fiction, and that it's a whole cottage industry, but. Every child knows the drawer of fan fiction, even if they don't have the term. Can we play with books? Should we, even as adults, be taking the the story that we read and relating it to our world, playing with how it fits into the spaces that we occupy? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think the great thing about reading literature is that it gives you access to other things. And as, for example, I'm a science fiction fan, and it allows me to access concepts, thoughts, worlds, technologies that don't even exist. And that, I believe, is a form of play. So I, I um, get quite obsessed with science fiction series and will follow them through. And I think that I, I count that as play. Mm. Um, for children, they don't need it, do they? Mm. Um, it's just give, giving kids books and reading stories to them or getting them reading as they grow is almost um, hyper-extending their creativity and their play facility. I mean, play is the business of children. And to use a really clunky metaphor here, um, if it is the business of children, books are just kind of, you know, coals on the industrial fire of uh, of their manufacturing. That was a, oh, gosh, that was a terrible metaphor, but I think it works. Uh, well, I was thinking that it that it is fuel. Yep. Um, and please, let's not Fahrenheit 451 yeah. and burn. Let's not go down the American hyper-right banning of books, which is presently happening. So there's weird things happening in the world that are very counter to my understanding of what's healthy and good. Mm. Is um, So you mentioned there, we're talking so much about play, and play, I think, 
you know, in, in, is if not inherently it is associated with fun, it is associated with pleasure, uh, it is associated with, I think, just being comfortable in the world. You mentioned at the top uh, that there was associated mental health benefits um, in, uh, in reading and in exploring imagination. Did the study at all let you dive into, you know, what those mental health benefits were and, and how they might manifest? It, it didn't, but we've done you know, a lot of research in this area as an industry. Um, you know, all industries want to understand what's happening with their own products and what they do. There is now bibliography. Um, uh, is that the, no, bibliotherapy. Yeah. Yes. Wrong, wrong word. Got close. Uh, and the idea that a doctor might prescribe reading to you suggests that there's something in it. But I think um, when, you know, CAT scans are applied to people's brains when they're reading, it fires off, you know, neurons like crazy. You really are exercising a lot of your brain when you read. And it, there's also the memory aspect. When you read from a paper book, I think studies suggest it's 25% better retention, much like writing by hand versus typing something out. You learn it better. And that's the old fashioned idea of rote learning, isn't it? Um, you know, just repeating. And there's a reason people go back to uh, reading the same book over and over um, because they get to stimulate different parts of their brain and think differently about exactly the same thing. I mean, it's a, it's a, a very unique technology, the book. It's been around since, well, let's say the printing press, let's say Gutenberg, but the modern mass produced novel is a miracle really. Um, the, the amount of information you get for your 20 bucks is extraordinary. Mm. I um, I want to think about the reader out here, uh, the reader and the listener out here who, who are fascinated by what we're talking about and want to bring the study into their life. Um, and not to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to dig up old feuds of, of, of genre and, and type, but did the study indicate that it's the simple mechanism of reading that confers these benefits or are there perhaps particular genres that are especially effective at fostering creativity and imagination? We didn't pass the information in that manner. So um, I'm going to go from, you know, 28 years of selling books and talking about books and reading books and trying to write books and, you know, the, the entire um, career has been around that. Uh, I would suggest that uh, nonfiction stimulates your creativity in a different way. So let's uh, probably say fiction is a, a better form of creative stimulus but I think so too are histories because history is just grand narrative. You know, you've got as far back as we can possibly go. And then genre-wise, well, given that genres tend to be about things that are unrealistic and not just not real but not realistic, as in we can't conjure them right this moment, dragons, spaceships, etc. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's probably what going, going to do it most for you. But honestly, I have a book on my desk. If I, if I had it in hand, I'd show it to you. Mm. Uh, here it is. Now, this is good for listeners. But here's a book called Freehand, which I keep on my desk, which is very limited in text. It's a series of about 150 drawing exercises. Mm. So there's a book that stimulates creativity massively. As by being a book, not just by something you read. So it's a, it's a, books and reading are not the only thing. Yeah, very much like exercise. It's not so much what you do; it's that you're doing it. Yes, exactly. And I, and uh, I'm not you know old enough 
or um, I hope boring enough to say, you know, you shouldn't read on screens or people shouldn't read romance or uh, I don't like to be a snob about reading. And I think any time you access something uh, that stimulates the brain is a very healthy thing. And so where does this study go from now? Do book people have plans to take these insights into future work and initiatives? I would like, um, I've been in the job about four years and I've tried to kind of reform what we do and make us more central to the industry. I would like to continue investigating our industry. Our first report was a massive sustainability report. So we're considering our impacts uh, on the environment and how we sustain ourselves as businesses without being a negative impact. And this one is really about understanding what, I guess it's like a SWOT analysis. Is what, are, what are the threats here? What is happening and it is mildly concerning. So you will use this research to hammer government. Uh, the ABS just produced a, a survey that shows that screen time in kids is up something like 9% uh, and reading is down for pleasure in children, something like 8%. So there's a massive swing away from the things that I think are really healthy professionally and personally. So we'll, we'll use this uh, to arm our members with information about what's happening. And you, it's really an understanding tool. Now, we've just launched a national gift card scheme, and I, I'm not here to plug it, but it's um, we've got digital gift cards and other things that we've never had before. And this survey was done as a way of investigating how, if, if there was a problem, and then to use that as a, hey, we've got a solution. Mm. You can give the gift of a book to anyone anywhere in the country. We're starting to get orders from the UK and New Zealand, which is really fascinating. So we're trying to generate something that keeps the industry vibrant. And I think without underpinning it with a bit of research, you're just making stuff up. And look, I mean, that feels really important at the moment. I happened to notice in my news reading the other day, like a huge um, – distributor book depository is sort of shut down so to and people were talking about that being and i mean i don't want to go too much into this kind of the centralization or the 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 big business of that but people were talking about losing access to a really important resource so i mean for people to have say through book people access to you know ways and means of distribution it feels important because we do need to get those books into our hands well, indeed. I mean, that's our purpose of existing. A bookshop's there to put books into readers' hands. Now, the internet's not going away, so we've also got uh, – there must be a good 100-plus stores that people can use the gift cards to order online as well. So we're trying to, you know, be in the modern world and be part of it. Uh, the book depository question, without going too deep, that was a, a form of tax loophole where Australians subsidised their postage to Australia – and allowed this very large company to, to undercut our local booksellers. But the problem there is let's forget um, pricing, let's forget competition with bookshops, let's just talk about tax base. Mm. How exciting is that? They weren't paying taxes in Australia that allow us to, to run literacy programs or whatever it might be. So there's a, there is a global issue here. It's not just this one's gone, you can't get books from them, where do I go? Mm that you can get books anywhere. We've sold solved the supply side of the equation. There's no lack of books in Australia. Yeah. One question, though, that I think is relevant to so many topics, of course, we do not live in an age where we are short of information. Often we're short of time to discover information or nice, neat, centralised, curated spaces to access that information. And I say all this by means of if people 
want to get their hands on this incredible report or perhaps discover more about book people or perhaps discover one of their amazing local bookstores, Robbie, where are they going to go? Uh, they should follow us on social media. They should go to book people. What are we? Bookpeople.org.au. Um, and we, we have that information. Um, I don't promote us yet as a website for consumers, though anytime someone wants to buy a gift card through our online portals, they will go to our website. Uh, and bit by bit, I'm trying to build us as a, a central hub, I suppose. Mm. And what we want to do is, as you said, push people out into these curated spaces. I'm really glad you said that. So I'm going to take a tangent on that. Mm. And that's it's one of my obsessions. And I'm putting together a PhD application to do research into the bookshop as a portal to infinite worlds. And I'm going to liken that to the the blank page as a writer sits down as being a portal to them accessing infinite worlds. And what's the relationship between writing and book selling? Because it's more intimate than simply the product. So, yes, curated spaces are very important. When you go online to buy a book, you don't browse in the same manner as you do at a bookshop. And we know that 50% or more of readers go to bookshops without a purchase in mind. They simply want to be there. Mm. So... I think I'm doing good work. <laughs> I think it's important and we don't want these spaces to fade. It's it's vital. I am going to I'm going to suggest that Robbie is being a little too modest there. I I really like bookpeople.org.au. It has an incredible find a bookstore uh, area where just by typing in a postcard, I just checked my favorite local bookstore is on there. And these are people who care. These are people who want to Find the book that you really need, even if you don't know what it is yet. So I'm going to shout out to Megalong Books in Lura, my local. I've definitely been in there and heard some incredible, been involved in incredible conversations for people who want to discover books. And that is, I, I think that is a priceless resource. I'm speaking with Robbie Egan. He is uh, the Chief Executive Officer of Book People, and we are discussing the importance of imagination study Robbie, thank you so much for taking the time out today to uh, to share this with us. Uh, Andrew, it's my pleasure. And thank you for saying that. I thought we'd come and chat more academically in some sense, but just to be able to talk about books and the vitality of reading is, is really, it's an absolute pleasure for me and I get to do it for work. It's amazing. That is it. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you also to Robbie Egan. Robbie is the CEO of Book People. And uh, he joined me to talk about the importance of imagination study, what imagination is doing and how our reading is spurring it on. You can go to bookpeople.org.au to find out more about book people and to find out more about the study. Great conversations from Final Draft are recorded on the lands of the Darug and the Gunungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Stay in touch. I would love to hear from you. You can find us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Our handle is at Final Draft 2SER. You can also, please, and I'm going to ask if you could please, drop us a star rating, drop us a thumbs up, whatever, wherever you are listening, however it lets you get in touch, get in touch. I want to hear. It also gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling, helps people discover more incredible Australian books. That's it. I'm going to say goodbye. I am Andrew Popel. I will be back with more incredible conversations from Australian authors here on Final Draft. But of course, till then, happy reading. Bye for now.